Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. I've been uh, blessed and honored to be asked to bring you the Word this morning. Uh, So last week, last weekend, we had our men's camping trip, our annual Christ the Word men's camping trip. And uh, we had a great time. We had beautiful weather. We didn't have one ounce of rain the entire time, which I don't think has happened ever in the history of the men's camping trip, which has been going on for about 15 years now, I believe. Um, And for many men and boys, this was their first time going. Uh, One of those boys was my three-year-old son, Ezekiel. And he was so excited to go that for three nights prior, he was praying that we would have a great trip. And God answered his prayer, and we did. We had a great time up there. It was a joy to be up there uh, for fellowship, for two nights of camping, and then canoeing the next morning on Saturday morning. And uh, as we were going on the canoe trip, as we were getting ready to go in their, uh, in their little canoe livery there, um, there was a sign that said they were not responsible for any items that fell in the river. So they, that company was not responsible to pay for the cost of anything that fell in the river. So if my three-year-old somehow got a hold of my cell phone and dropped it in the river, they would not be responsible to pay for that. Now, thankfully, that did not happen on this trip, but the fact that a sign has to be, has to be put up there says something about our society. I'm sure you've all seen those signs all over the place, right? We see them out in parking lots, we see them in restaurants, we see them on tools, that they reflect an attitude of our society that we place blame anywhere else except on ourselves. And no one wants to be held accountable for anything because that often costs somebody something. It often costs a company uh, money, maybe a lot of money, uh, and no one wants to pay that cost. So if someone bro- you park your car somewhere and someone breaks into your car and steals your $1,000 cell phone that you left there, you want someone else to be responsible to pay for that, right? That's why they have to put that sign there. We're not, we're not reliable for anything that you leave in your car. Same with spilling your coffee, right? When you get a coffee and it says, caution, hot. They put that there because coffee is hot. And if we spill it on ourselves, we're going to want someone else to be responsible for that, right? Not ourselves. Same with if we, we want to look for a job. Often we think someone else should look for a job for us. We want to point the finger at anything else except for ourselves. And so the idea of personal responsibility is one that's eroding in our country. Now, responsibility or being responsible may be difficult to define. Webster's Dictionary defines being responsible as liable to be called to answer. And this means that we're liable to be called on to answer for our words and for our actions for what we say and what we do. And this is the life of a Christian man and a Christian woman. It's the life of responsibility. So this morning, I'd like to speak about who we're responsible to and for, some specific sins which cause us to turn away or try to flee from responsibility, and some characteristics of responsibility which we should all have. So let's look at our passage this morning. Please stand as we read God's word from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. 
For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained one more. But he who received the one went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, as the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would receive my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the living word. Lord, we thank you for giving us faith by your grace in Jesus Christ and giving us salvation through this. Lord, may we be responsible in where you place us and the gifts that you give to us. Uh, And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, as I had said, responsibility can sometimes be difficult to define. For this morning, I'd like to define responsibilities as the things, the blessings which God gives us, the individual circumstances which he puts us in, and he holds us accountable to use those things, those responsibilities for his glory and not our own. You see, this is the main point of this parable, that God gives all of us responsibilities, different responsibilities, and holds us accountable for how we use those. Now, first we need to recognize that not everyone is given the same responsibilities. All of us will have more or less than others. Now, this isn't what our society wants to say. Society wants to say that everyone's equal. Everyone should have the same responsibilities. Everyone should do the same, right? That's just not true. One slave was given five talents, one was given two, and one was given one. Now, the talent was a weight of money. Money was measured as a weight. And it was equivalent to 15 years of a daily laborer's salary 
or amount of money that he made. So one talent equaled 15 years of, of salary. So if we use round numbers, which I'm no accountant, so I like round numbers. So if we use, use round numbers and the average laborer makes $40,000 this year, one talent would be worth $600,000 that was given to this slave. So the one that was given five was actually given, in today's dollars, $3 million. The one that was given two would be $1.2 million, and the one that was given one would be $600,000. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd feel real foolish taking a suitcase of $600,000 and burying it in my backyard. But that's exactly what we do at times with the responsibilities that God gives us. In our parable... Our parable being a practical story about spiritual realities, it shows us that God holds us accountable for what we do with the responsibilities that he's given us. And he expects us to use those for his glory, not to go and hide and bury it in a hole in a backyard. Now, the first two slaves were responsible for what was given to them. They took what they'd been given and used it to gain more. And this is what God expects from those who he loves and who he calls. He holds us accountable to use what he gives us to glorify him. And this is responsibility that leads to fruitfulness. And also we see on the opposite end that responsibility which is wasted is useless and it's given to another. And this wasted responsibility leads to destruction. Now we're all blessed in different ways and God holds us accountable for how we use those things that he's blessed us with, those responsibilities now, Scripture is clear about two, two themes, God's sovereignty, the fact that he created the whole universe and rules and controls all things through his providential wisdom, and man's responsibility, our responsibility to God for those things. So those two main themes. Now, our society and, our church, and many churches in America say that these two ideas oppose one another, that they're against one another. That God's grace and obedience cannot be together. That this idea that a person must choose one of these principles, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, God's gracious love, and, God's, and our obedience, is false. And it's a lie, and it's not against what God's word says. The Bible's clear that both are true. That God is sovereign over all things, and that we are also responsible for our actions, for our words, and what we do with those things that God blesses us with. God gives grace through faith in his son Jesus to those whom he loves, and he expects obedience. Again, it's not one or the other, it's both and. God is sovereign over all things, including our salvation, and he holds us responsible. He's gracious to those who he loves, and he expects obedience. To focus on one over the other is wrong. If, you focus, if we focus only on God's sovereignty then some might be inclined to blame God for sin, and that's wrong. If we focus on personal responsibility, we take away from God's power over all things. If we focus only on God's grace, then a person might fall into the trap of thinking that they are not accountable for their actions. If we focus only on obedience, then a person's faith becomes based in their works. So it's clear that both of these principles are true that God is sovereign, and that we are responsible to him. So where does this personal responsibility fit in with these principles? Well, first and foremost, we're responsible to God. Our parable is clear that the master is God the Father. There will be a last day of judgment 
where God will judge us for what we have and have not done. The idea of God's sovereignty and our responsibility are not at odds with one another. Now, let's be clear, regarding our salvation, we can never do enough to outweigh the debt of our sin. We can never earn our way into heaven. By God's grace, through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, we are given the righteousness of Christ. We are, it is imputed on us, it is put upon us through faith, by God's grace, as our sin is also put on Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. When God gives one faith, a new creation is born and the old one passes away, and this new creation gives one the ability to turn away from sin and the power through the Holy Spirit to do this. Before that spiritual birth, that wasn't even possible. We couldn't turn from our sin. But once we're given a new life, God God gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to do this. And this is exactly what Jesus means when he tells the adulterous woman in John 8 to go and sin no more. And it's exactly what he means when he says, be holy as I am holy. The expectation is obedience for those that God loves. And we're responsible to call and to be called on to answer for what we've done. Now, these responsibilities that God gives us come through obedience. I'm sure many of you have experienced this in your life. I know I have and continue to do so, that God gives me a desire to obey him in maybe a certain area. He reveals a certain area, and it seems that there's things that I either I haven't done or things that I need to do to change, and God gives more responsibility in that. We realize that God keeps us accountable for our actions and in his love for us reveals those things and allows us to change. This pattern started at the beginning of scripture as well. Before the fall, Adam was obedient to God. God gave him the responsibility to cultivate and keep the garden and he held him accountable to do so. He gave Adam a helpmate to do this in Eve and he was now responsible to care for her and as well as accountable to God. Now, these past two weekends here at the church, we've had two weddings. Noah and Jacob, as they look to be obedient to God in marriage, God's granted them the desire of of a wife in Morgan and Hannah, and these young men have now been given additional responsibilities. They're not accountable just for themselves. They're accountable to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to care for them as well. So we see greater responsibility comes through the desire to follow God in their biblical relationship that they have started in one man and one woman united in marriage. And we see numerous other scriptural examples of responsibility following obedience. Moses obeyed God, was called to lead the Israelites out of bondage, and he became responsible to lead and care for them, and God held him accountable to do that. He worked through, God worked through Moses, and he provided for their needs, their safety, In fact, Moses even pled to God that he would not destroy the Israelites because he was responsible for them as a group. And Moses, what Scripture says is the greatest leader ever, was accountable for his own actions as well. He was not allowed to go into the promised land. He was only allowed to see it because of his sin of anger. So we see additional responsibility coming through obedience. We see it in Moses. We see it in Joshua who took over for Moses afterwards. He first obeyed God as a spy who trusted to take the land that God had promised. 
And then God placed the responsibility of taking that land militarily. He became the military commander and the spiritual leader of the Israelites as God gave them victory. And God gave him the responsibility of dividing that land that he blessed them with. And so Joshua's obedience leads to greater responsibility. We see this also in the book of Esther, where a Jewish woman, Esther, becomes queen of the Persian Empire. She's obedient to God in the place that he has placed her. She sees that her people, God's people, are being persecuted, and she goes and and pleads to the king to stop that. Now, the responsibility that she had for these people before God could have led to her death. You go to see the king in that time without without being called, it could lead to your death. But she was responsible where God had placed her. We see this with the prophets as well. They're obedient to God in bringing the word of God to the people, making sure that the people heard the word. We see greater responsibility given to Joseph, the stepfather of our Lord and Savior, when he was obedient to God to take Mary as his wife, a woman which initially he was going to quietly set aside. And at that moment, Jesus became accountable, excuse me, Joseph became accountable not only to Mary, but to the child, Jesus, that she was carrying. So we see responsibilities come from obedience, that these are actually blessings from God, from our obedience. Now, on the negative side, fleeing from responsibilities that God has given to us lead to a path of disobedience and sin. We see this with King David, with his sin with Bathsheba. David was responsible for the army and the kingdom And he should have been out with his army during that time as a responsible leader. Instead, he was lounging on the rooftop, which ultimately led to his adultery and his sin. The prophet Jonah tried running away from his responsibility, which God gave him, and he ended up in the belly of a fish. The apostle Peter denied his responsibility three times and ran away from Jesus weeping. Now, God granted repentance and forgiveness to these men, but their attempt To shirk the responsibility that God had given to them led to disobedience and sin. We can try to run away from our responsibilities, which God gives to us, but we will ultimately still be accountable for those. So what are some attitudes and actions that we try to shirk our responsibilities, that we try to use to shirk our responsibilities? Well, they're RPM. Now, for some of you engineers, I don't mean how quickly a motor goes around, okay? Uh, in, the, in the government, there are uh, acronyms for everything. So RPM stands for rationalize, project, and minimize. We rationalize our selfishness, we project our responsibilities on others, and we try to minimize the impact that our actions have on others. First, we must all fight our desire to rationalize our selfishness. Think about how many times we use the word I throughout the day. I need a break because this day has been so hard. I need a vacation because it's been a rough six months. I need to go to the gym because it helps me relieve stress. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are times when everyone needs a break, a vacation, and a way to deal with stress. But the problem arises when these things become our rationalization for avoiding obedience to God and the responsibilities that he's given us. We use these other things as a way of escape 
the reality where God has placed us. And rationalizing our selfishness helps us to feel better about this in the short term. Another thing we try to do is we project our responsibilities, which God has given us, on somebody else. How many times have you heard when somebody, something happens, well, that's not my job, or I didn't do that. That's his or her job, or that wasn't done by him or her. And we accuse others of our problems. I'm this way because you raised me a certain way or didn't raise me a certain way. I'm this way because of what something else, somebody else did to me. Husbands and fathers, we, we shamefully do this in our homes at times. We expect things of our wives and children that either they don't know about or we haven't communicated clearly. And wives and mothers, you do this as well. Well, he should have just known what the matter was. He or she made me respond the way that I did. Or if you're a student, I did bad in this class because the teacher was terrible. Or that was my brother's job, not mine. We all project their fa- our failures on others because of all different types of issues, whether that's race, education, upbringing, economic status. But the issue, the problem is that it's not being responsible before God and it's not addressing our own sin, and it creates a victim mentality that denies any type of personal responsibility. The person never has to deal with their own sin because it's always a result of something else that has previously happened. And this is not biblical. The Bible does not ever teach that it's okay to blame everyone else for your problems or make someone else take on your responsibilities. In fact, Scripture teaches the exact opposite. In both 2 Corinthians 5 and Revelation 20, Scripture says that we will be judged before God for our deeds, not the deeds of somebody else. And a third way we try to justify our abdication of responsibilities is by minimalizing the impact that our actions have on those around us. It's not that big of a deal that our family has not read the Bible today. It won't negatively affect my family that much. But what happens when that day turns into a week, turns into a month, turns into a year, turns into 10 years, and suddenly your children have no idea what God's Word says? Or how about we say, well, my family actually doesn't actually see my sin, so it doesn't affect them. My sin's done in private. It won't affect them until you see three generations later those same private sins affecting that same family. Or my coworkers know that I have a temper and they just work around it. It's not that big of an issue. They just deal with it until the whole company becomes known for having angry employees that are hard to work with. By minimalizing the impact of our sin, we minimalize the sin itself instead of dealing with it. Now, it should come as no surprise to us that these things that negatively affect our responsibility come from Satan, come from the devil. When we rationalize our selfishness, when we project our responsibilities on others, when we minimalize the impact on others, we're doing the exact same thing that Satan did in the Garden of Eden when he tempted Eve in the first sin in Genesis. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Satan minimalized the effects of sin on Eve and those around her. The serpent said, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan rationalized Eve's selfishness in wanting to become like God 
and projected her responsibility that was given to her back onto God. These are the ways that Satan deceives us to abdicate the responsibilities which God has given us, and we need to be on guard against them. The Christian life is one of responsibility, first and foremost to God, but we're also responsible to one another. God's blessed us with a church family, a church body, to care for each other's needs, to encourage and challenge each other, and to help keep each other accountable to God in our, for, for our sins. Now, in the book of Acts, we see how the church was growing, and they cared for the financial needs of one another. They were sharing what they had with, with each other because they understood there was an implicit responsibility that was shared within the body of Christ, within the church. And this is the example that we need to follow. It's part of the reason why we have our benevolent fund, is to provide and care for one another's financial needs. And I know many of you have cared in this way, cared financially for others in ways that are totally not public, that are totally quiet. And I praise God for that, and I thank you for your generosity to each and, and kindness and love for one another. But our responsibility for one another goes beyond our financial means. God's given us a church family to encourage and challenge one another in our obedience to him. So as we grow in love for one another, our love to see one another grow in their relationship with God should parallel that. Andrea and I are so thankful for you all, for men and women who challenge and encourage us, who love us, who've walked alongside us in good times and in bad and this is one of the things which we promise to one another as we become a family, as we, be, as we are responsible for one another. We promise one another to look after each other's children. We do this in baptism. When a child's baptized here, we make a promise that we will help the parents raise this child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. This is a promise to the parents as well as to the child. And this, this promise means helping the parents grow in their relationship, their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, their relationship with their child, as well as that child itself. And this is rejoicing when others rejoice and weeping when others weep. Now, keeping each other accountable is another way that we are responsible to one another. Accountable before God. Several years I had, was having an obedience battle with Isaiah. Some of you may have had similar battles before. Uh, it was during one of our Sunday evening services, and a service, uh, after the service, a, a friend of mine, an older gentleman, uh, came up to me, gave me some encouraging words, and gave me some parental advice that I'll never forget. He said, don't expect too little of your children. See, when we set expectations for our children, that are, and these expectations are obedient to God's word, we're teaching them responsibility that they are accountable to God for their actions, and that God expects them to use the gifts that he's given them for his glory. Some of you uh, may be aware that President Trump was in Ohio, was in the area this week, and uh, on Thursday. Uh, now, I was on family vacation, so I didn't have to work uh, that protection detail, but I've worked many in, uh, similarly in the past. Um, and... When a president or vice president travels somewhere, the Secret Service is responsible not only for that 
man's security and safety, but for each person that goes to that event. That includes the public, that includes the press. So every, each person that is there, the Secret Service is responsible for their safety. Now, each agent that's working that particular detail is given a set of responsibilities, a set of things that they need to do that help the success or failure of the whole event. Now, this at times may include being responsible for somebody that you don't like, that you don't agree with, but that doesn't change or negate the responsibility which the Secret Service has for their protection for all of those that are there. And this is the same within our church. We're responsible to one another even when we disagree or we don't get along. As a church family, like your immediate family, there will be times when we don't like each other, when we've sinned against one another, when we do or say things that annoy each other. It's part of the sinful nature that we still have to deal with here on earth. However, that doesn't mean that we do not hold each other accountable for these sins and help one another to, get to, to confess, to repent and forgive and care for one another in that way. That is part of being responsible to one another. And this helps the whole family, the whole family that we have here in fighting our sin of pride and in growing in holiness. A willingness to say the hard things, to be humble enough to accept loving challenge, and willing to ask for forgiveness when you've sinned against one another is one of the main benefits that we have as a church family in a way that we're responsible to one another. This is loving your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus commanded us. It's following what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian church, to be kind and tenderhearted to each other, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven each of us. We are responsible for each other as we're all responsible before God. And the life of a Christian is a life of responsibility. Now there are three, I think, basic characteristics which are essential for each of us to help in responsibility. And these are discipline, hard work, and joy. Now these are blessings from God and they help to build responsibility in each of us. If we want to be obedient to God, if God gives us that desire, and he does, and responsibility comes through that obedience, discipline is necessary for this obedience to be long-lasting. The responsible person is one who's disciplined where God has placed them. Discipline is having long-term self-control. It's the ability to look to God for strength and sustain that discipline. The responsible person has self-control. We see that the slaves in our passage had self-control. The ones that were responsible to God had self-control. They didn't go and buy extravagant things with the money that was given them. They used it for the glory of the master, for God's glory. And they were disciplined in with what, what was given to them. So the question we all must ask ourselves is, how are we being disciplined with the responsibilities that God has given us? With our time, with our money, with our families, with those around us, with other responsibilities? How are we being disciplined with those things? And along with discipline, an essential characteristic, another essential characteristic is hard work. The responsible person works hard. In our parable, the last slave is accused of being lazy. Now implied in that is that the first two who doubled what they were given worked hard to accomplish that. 
And so we all are called to work hard, work hard where God has placed us and with the gifts that God has used us. In my sin, I often want to be that lazy slave. I don't want to be responsible. I want to go take that, what the gift that was given me, that $600,000, and go bury it in the sand and, take, and go away. But that is not being responsible to God. And hard work is something that we should in, teach our children to enjoy. It's important for them to see how it's a responsibility that they have as well. And that responsibility of hard work is one that comes with the Christian life. Apparent, this hard work of responsibility continues through all of life. Fathers and mothers, we are still responsible for our children, even when they get older and their circumstances change. Now, of course, this will look different for a child who's 25 and married and out of the house compared to a three-year-old, but this doesn't extinguish the fact that we as parents are still responsible for our children. Now, the responsibilities which God's given us should not be a heavy burden. It's hard, but there should be joy in these responsibilities. If they are only seen as a burden, this continued attitude will lead to a life of despair and one that ends up hating God because our responsibilities are given to us from God. So if we're not able to enjoy and have joy in the responsibilities that God has given us, we need to change that attitude. We need to pray that God changes that for us. I think that mothers with several small children can often fall into this type of thinking, that meal prep, nursing, changing diapers is all that there is to their place in life. That's just not true. They've been obedient to God. The family's been obedient to God in the fruit of the womb, but now the daily responsibility is a lot of hard work. Maybe it's a man that's in a job that doesn't have any mobility, that does the same thing day in and day out, and that becomes tiresome. And yet, God gives us these responsibilities, these circumstances that he places us in, and calls us to have joy in them. We should be thankful to God for what he has seen fit to grant us, and that that has stemmed from joyful obedience. And by having joy given by God during these responsibilities, it allows us to appreciate what God has given to us. I got my first real job as a uniformed police officer when I was 23. I painted for about a year after college graduation, and I enjoyed painting. Um, It was good work. It was steady work. I enjoyed it. Uh, It paid the bills. It paid well. But I I felt called to law enforcement. And uh, so I was offered, I applied and was offered a job uh, in law enforcement, and we went out to training, and, and during training, we were given, a, assigned a training sergeant uh, to kind of look over us. Uh, sergeant Cornell was his name, and he told us that if we did three things for our careers, we would be successful, wherever that was, whether that was as a police officer, whatever you did. If you did three things, you'd be successful. Show up early and have all your necessary equipment, put in a good day's work, and have a good attitude doing it. Now what Sergeant Cornell didn't know, I don't think he knew, was that he was giving us, giving our training class principles of responsibility, the characteristics of discipline, hard work, and joy. And when I think of other men in my life who have displayed these characteristics, I think of this picture of my dad. I ran across this picture several years ago 
And I think it epitomizes responsibility. Now, many of you know my dad. Some of you don't. Uh, But this picture was taken 45 years ago. My dad was 27. Uh, he, He was in his third year of being a missionary in southern Mexico, in the southernmost state of Chiapas, Mexico. Uh, The assignment was only supposed to last two years, and they ended up staying for 13 years. Uh, So this picture was taken when they were in their third year down there. And um, the initial assignment that was given to them was to turn a campgrounds, a piece of land that was given to the denomination uh, that my dad was ordained in, the Reformed Church in America, this turn this piece of land into what was basically a campgrounds into a conference center. Uh, When they went down there, there were three buildings. There was a small house for my parents to live in, there was a dining facility, and there was a chapel. And this was to be turned into a conference center. So the first three years of my parents' time down there was spent mainly learning the Spanish language, because they were in a completely different place that they had almost no Spanish training, uh, doing manual labor and building uh, things for this conference center, whether that be chopping out additional space out of the jungle uh, or building actual buildings, setting up a plumbing system for fresh water and sewage. Uh, They had to find a way to financially self-support this conference center. So my dad came up with the idea of of raising coffee, and so they grew coffee. And uh, he was also, my dad was also tasked with making contacts with the Mexican Presbyterian Church uh, because this is where that Mexican Presbyterian Church was there. They were going to get local leaders to come to this training center uh, to train to be pastors and elders of churches. And oh, by the way, during all this, during my dad's free time, he was trying to work on his PhD as well. So my, my mom and dad were very, had to be very disciplined and self-controlled with their time, with their finances. 1970s in Chiapas, Mexico, you didn't have a Lowe's down the street where you could go and buy your plumbing facility, the things that you needed. Everything took weeks, if not days, to get down there and was very, very expensive. So they were self-controlled with their time and their finances. And in the picture, you can see the sweat coming off my dad's face as he worked hard in the jungle heat and humidity. There were often days where it would be 95 degrees and 95% humidity for a long time. Uh, so much so that other missionaries wouldn't even want to come to visit the conference center, the campgrounds, because it was so hot. But you can see the sweat coming off his face, and you can see the smile that he has on his face as he enjoys the responsibilities which God has given him. Through God's word and through my dad's obedience to it, I've learned the importance of godly responsibility, and I hope to teach it to my children as we're all responsible to each other to teach it to one another. So we need to ask ourselves, are we using the responsibilities which God has given us for his glory? This is what our passage teaches us. us. It's what Christian responsibility is. It's turning away from the quagmires of rationalizing our selfishness, of projecting our responsibilities on others, of minimalizing the effects our actions have on others, turning away from those things, and turning towards the responsibilities which God has given us and using the gifts that he's given us to bear fruit for his glory. We're all liable to be called to answer to God. We're all responsible to God and responsible to each other. The life of a Christian is a life of responsibility. Let's serve God with joy where he's placed us and use the gifts he's given us to do this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you 
Give us more responsibility by obedience to you, through obedience to you, Lord. Give us hearts that want to obey, that want to use the things you've given us, the places you've put us, to serve you, to be fruitful for your glory and not for our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.